0: This is Let Your Voice Be Heard, right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem.
1: I know that bling, that can only mean
2: WHCR
3: 90.3 I know FM, New that York. Bling,
1: that can only mean one thing. Ever since I left the city,
2: you.
0: We're back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard
3: on ninety point three FM WHCR, the voice of Harlem. Harlem Selena's about
2: to blow my eardrum out. Real,
3: yeah, right. Real, real <laughs> quick question, Jackie. How old are you? Or st- how old are you in stupid years?
2: What zero?
3: No, a hundred.
2: Oh. All right, Stanley. Oh. That made no sense. Good Time, burn, stop Sam. talking about yourself, Stanley. Yeah, you know
3: I'm tired of anti-Semitism towards me. You guys <laughs> what?
2: Should... <laughs> All right, Stanley. So because
0: you're black.
3: Some Jewish, a God.
0: You know he's Jewish for the day. This is his for alter life. ego for today. Alter. A yeah. Jewish black man. Yes, life. we love it. We love it, Stanley. You can be anything you want. Apparently,
3: you're just mad because you didn't think to put grains in the pyramids like Noah did.
0: <laughs> it was <laughs> jo- that a, Joseph. That a, that's a it. It was Joseph. Ben, ben, ben Carson line. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, that is a yes. Ben Carson line. I, I love him.
3: his <laughs> father's a Speaking of here.
0: things we wow. love. Um, And I won't name any names, but there are some other things that we love. We, meaning us in a studio. Drugs. I
3: don't love drugs.
0: No. Okay. We're talking. Okay. That was maybe a bad segue. Maybe a good segue. (laughs) Things we love to talk about. Yeah, we love to talk about. Marijuana, guys. Okay, so, but this time, from a little different perspective because I was thinking, you know, as much as progressives have been rallying around the legalization of marijuana, won't that just lead to the corporatization of marijuana? And aren't we all trying to fight corporate greed? I mean, it wasn't too long ago when we were all sitting in Zuccotti Park talking about how we have to fight the 1% and we are the 99%. And then we were talking about how we need to legalize marijuana because too many black and brown people are being arrested and incarcerated just for having a small possession of this quote-unquote drug right so but thing is if we do legalize it you know what might happen more corporate greed more corporatization more capitalism that hurts the 99 percent right let me give you some more background information before we just did before we just dig into that um, so we've seen a lot of progress when it comes to the legalization of marijuana in the United States and in the world in recent years. 23 states plus the District of Columbia have passed laws permitting medical marijuana use, while four states have even went as far to let adults use marijuana for recreational purposes. Meanwhile... We all know Bernie Sanders, who is probably a favorite, at least of mine, he's introducing a, he has introduced a bill that would let states decide if they want to make the drug legal without worrying about violating federal law. So we're making, we're making a lot of progress here in the U.S. And if we look around the world... The Mexican Supreme Court recently opened a door to legalizing the drug by giving four plaintiffs the right to grow cannabis for personal use. This was a huge story, and we're going to talk more about that later on in the segment. But again, this is all for progress. And I found out that in Canada, the new prime minister said that he intends to change the law so that people can use the drug recreational too, recreationally. So, again, progress. But despite all the progress that has been made, Ohio actually took some pro-weed advocates by surprise last week when the state overwhelmingly rejected a ballot proposal that would have legalized both recreational and medical marijuana. The reason why is because a thing called Issue 3. Now, Issue 3 is a provision that would have um, would have been added into the Ohio state constitution that would have limited the cultivation of weed crops to just 10 growing sites so critics no matter if they were for or against prohibition were saying this will monopolize the sale of marijuana and they also pointed out that the facilities are controlled by private investors so that would mean basically lead, that would basically mean leading to quote unquote marijuana monopolies and these rich 10 sites um selected wealthy investors would make a lot of money supporters of uh, issue three on the other hand they argued that issue three is just something that will help the government tightly regulate marijuana but people were like we don't really buy that so as i mentioned earlier the topic of discussion for today is, you know, if weed is legalized, if we get legal weed, will it just lead to more corporate greed? Because I think what's going on in Ohio is sort of reflective about what could, the potential that could happen um, all over the country. Once we continue to legalize marijuana, we will start to see more um, privatized, more privatized companies um, selling and growing marijuana, and then that might lead to more commercialization of the plant and of the drug. You know. You might be bombarded with ads about weed. I mean, we, are, we already live in a society that bombards us with advertisement telling us to buy this and try that. And it's like you have to get the new iPhone every six months. And it's just like it's overwhelming. And now you might have to go to the store and see, you know, marijuana. And that might even take away from, you know, the culture of weed. So there's a lot to talk about here. And we're going to start off introducing our very special guest who we have on the line. And he's on the line. Thank you for that dump thumbs up, Stanley. We have on the line with us John Walker. I think this is like his third time coming on the show. So he's officially the fr- a friend of Let Your Voice Be Heard. Right now, he writes for Mass Roots, and he is an author of a very awesome book. It is called After Legalization, Understanding the Future of Marijuana Policy. Good morning, John.
1: Hey, thanks for having me on.
0: Thanks for coming back. We missed you. How's everything?
1: I'm good. I've got a little bit of a cold, but Ooh. I hope my voice isn't too bad. Smoke some weed. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I don't know about that if you're in New York City. Well, it's not really
1: illegal
3: here, per se. You just can't have it on you or smoke it or sell it.
4: Right. It's decriminalized. You can look at it and hope for it a, a better Rice Treat. <laughs> right. Well. I've never
3: done that, but it's delicious. <laughs> <I> heard.
0: <laughs> All right, guys. So, um, John, I give some background information about Issue 3, which, again, is a provision that would have been, that would have um, allowed adults in Ohio to use, purchase, and grow certain amounts of marijuana for both recreational and medical purposes. But opponents, and I, um, like Kurt Steiner, who is the director of Ohioans Against Marijuana Monopolies, He described the measure as, and I quote, nothing more and nothing less than a business plan to seize control of the recreational marijuana market in Ohio. So here's my question to you, John. Was issue three designed to garner massive and exclusive profits for a small group of investors? Or is this just an inevitable consequence that will occur as we continue to fight for um legal uh, as we continue to fight for marijuana to become legal
1: uh, no issue three was very specifically designed by a set of investors for a set of investors um, to capitalize on the marijuana legalization movement um, you know there were some supporters in the community that said the benefit of you know stopping to arrest large numbers of people for smoking a rather harmless plant would outweigh the fact that you are helping a few people get very wealthy. Um, but there was no doubt in anyone's mind that this was a very specific business plan by a set of investors to make a lot of money.
0: Guys, if you're just tuning in, we have an line with us, John Walker. Again, he is the author of After Legalization, Understanding the um, understanding future of marijuana policy. And if you have any questions or comments, you can call us up at 212-650-6903 and you can tweet us at BeHerd underscore radio.
3: I've already been tweeting at heard underscore radio. I tried to call in, but I kept answering the phone and not knowing who was there. <laughs> so it's not working. Do. I might be it's high. It's because you smoked too much this yes, morning. Morning. yes, exactly. That's exactly smoked all is. that toothpaste. Um, my question is why is this a surprise to anybody that weed is going to be corporatized when it becomes legal? People have been like manufacturing it in preparation of America coming to its census for years why why can't we have a scenario where it's like the prohibition where people who were illegally selling alcohol the ones who were able to capitalize ended up being super freaking rich and then the rest of the people usually the poor people and the people with no access to funds or people who could give them funds just failed
0: mm, well, that's a good point John can you answer that
1: um, well you know that is interesting you sort of bring that up um, during Prohibition, you actually had a lot of companies find a way to skirt the law. Um, so there was, like, several wineries that got themselves, like, the few certifications for growing sacramental wine. And they're a big position till after Prohibition ended to become the biggest wine grower. Uh, you, know, you had a few distilleries um, down in the South that were got themselves, like, one of the few licenses to be the only producers of, quote-unquote, medical bourbon. Uh, And those became sort of the biggest bourbon places when marijuana, I mean, when alcohol was, like, made legal again. So it's no doubt that we're going to sort of see some of that happening again. I'm sure some of the bigger, more successful medical marijuana producers in California and Colorado and Washington, when, like, the whole country goes, legalization will probably, like, end up being some of the biggest players in the industry once it developed.
2: That makes a lot of sense. I actually was just in California, and I was thinking that as you were saying it, that some of those companies that are operating uh, services in California under their medical marijuana law will eventually grow into the bigger kind of dispensaries but here's what I find more interesting is is the kind of coalescence between big tobacco and what I think is going to become big weed because as far as I'm concerned if you don't think that Philip Morris or whatever they're calling themselves these days Altria group doesn't want to sell marijuana bros instead of Marlboro's or in not instead of but (laughs) along (laughs) with Marlboro's um, I think that that's crazy to think that but I also think and John I'm hoping to get your opinion on what you think About this, um, but I I have this feeling that the big reason why you haven't seen big commercial type people like Altria Group, like, um, you know, Anheuser-Busch, that's the biggest alcohol producer, they have, I think, 83% of the alcohol market or in the beer market, that you haven't really seen them break in because of the fact that it's still illegal under federal law. Now, obviously, when we're talking about issue three in Ohio, that would have been still under federal law illegal. Um, So yes, it would have allowed these few corporate entities to occupy almost an oligarchic type place in the market. But I don't necessarily think it would have led to the big tobacco, big alcohol people coming in yet. But I do see that As happening in the next 10 years, Mm -hmm. because I think in the next 10 years, the federal ban on marijuana is going to end and they're going to leave it to the states. And once the federal ban ends, um, and there's also a lot of issues with banking, which I know we've talked about on the show before in previous shows, then I think you're going to have a lot of commercial growers and commercial type people through big tobacco and big alcohol wanting to get involved. So I guess the question is, do you think that because of the way federal, the status of federal law is the big reason why these big tobacco, big alcohol companies have not gotten involved yet? Or do you think there's another reason why they haven't tried to get into the market? Or are they in the market, but they're doing research and development, they're not in the forefront of the market, so we don't really see it?
1: I would say definitely the reason you're not seeing large corporations sort of of any industry um, getting heavily involved is the federal issues. Um, While it's unlikely that we'll ever see sort of a turn back or, you know, heavy enforcement on the federal level, um, you would open yourself up to such extreme liabilities. Like technically, you know, let's say I'm a big corporation. I invest a little bit of money, you know, in Colorado or something. Theoretically, if a Chris Christie got elected, who he said he's going to be aggressively anti-marijuana, you know, he could basically seize that entire corporate structure. Um, so, like nobody's willing to make that kind of risk. Um, what is interesting, though, is if Canada moves forward with full legalization before the United States does, I wouldn't be surprised. At the big um, marijuana sort of innovation and development and largest corporations actually end up being developed up there where they have that level of legal protection. Um, So that I think is actually a very interesting dynamic to watch in the next few years.
0: That is really interesting. Can you expand on that? How if the prime minister does legalize recreational marijuana in Canada, how that can lead to more of uh, marijuana being manufactured in Canada. And I think you're saying then shipped or transported to the States.
1: Yeah. Like so theoretically, And I I wrote about this for Mass Roots. You know, if we look at sort of prohibition in the United States, um, prohibition destroyed what was a very great sort of um, winery industry in the United States. You know, we had some of the best places to grow grapes um, in California and stuff. But it destroyed that sort of local industry. And then even when alcohol was made legal again in the United States, a lot of the wine that people were drinking was from places where the industry wasn't destroyed, you know, from you know, France and Europe were being imported. I mean, it took, like, I think only until, like, the 70s when California's wine industry finally, like, regained its position. Um, so I don't think they would be illegally shipping, you know, commercial Canadian marijuana to the United States, but it could be a situation where in Canada they could develop, you know, a full-fledged... You know, modern industry, you know, because they have the proper access to the banking, legal protection, all the IP protection that you want, you know, being able to trademark your name. You know, these are like very critical things for companies that you can't sort of do in the United States right now because of federal law. Um, exactly. And so theoretically, you can see the same thing happening. You know, it could be when federal marijuana prohibition ends and we're allowed, you know, to you know, ship in marijuana from other countries and stuff. It could be Canadian companies um, that have the big foothold by being the most developed.
4: Right, and so I have a I have a question um, sort of to jump off of that. Um, so, you know, the way that we see, I think when we look at sort of like these vice, quote-unquote, industries like tobacco um, and alcohol, right, where in tobacco you don't really see a lot of um, craft. I mean, there's sort of a culture around, I think, cigars, but there's not really this, like, big craft industry of um, cigarettes being made. It's it's a lot more straightforward, like big industry push. Um, with alcohol, you do see, you know, big corporatization of the industry, but there are brewers and distillers and, I mean, more, I feel like, than ever before. It's certainly in New York where we have distilleries, craft breweries, wineries all over the state. Um, and I think that that portion of the industry is expanding so i guess the question is where do we see marijuana you know it's such an interesting um discussion because there is such a culture there's this cannabis culture based around the product right that's already in place um that adding in this corporate structure takes away from it right so do we see it going more towards the way of big tobacco or more towards the um a little more involved alcohol industry where um, there is more personal ownership over the product?
1: I think, yeah, you've got sort of probably two very interesting dynamics. One is just how consumer tastes will develop. Um, You know, for a large degree, people smoke marijuana buds, you know, just straight. But I don't, we don't really know if that's because that's what people preferred. People were kind of doing that because of its sort of black market status. You know, there. are that was a sort sure, of the best legal way to transport it. You know, sometimes hash would fall into a different category in certain states, so you wouldn't want to do that for legal reasons. Uh, um, you know, you can easily inspect the bud. You know, if you're buying from like a shady dealer, um, but you are seeing sort of a development of like the edible and uh, like vape pens in Colorado. So it's possible like consumer taste may change a bunch, which will have a real effect on sort of how the industry develops. And then the other thing I think is super important and not enough people are paying attention to is the regulatory issues. Um, The entire sort of explosion of the micro-distilling, micro-brewing industry in the United States is almost exclusively a result of a change in the laws. It used to be the laws around um, alcohol were just so restrictive to starting up some new small brewery um, that you had this steady... Um, Markins consolidation, you know, if you, you can pull up a map, I think, on the small to small brewery, you know, organization or whatever. There's a steady, steady coalition where you got down to only about like 60 breweries in this country. Um, then, uh, Jimmy Carter made it legal to brew beer at home. So people could like experiment with like producing their own like private stocks and like, you know, developing the skills to start a small brewery. And a few states, um, like Washington and California would allow people to sell the brew they, beer they brewed directly to consumers at their restaurants. So you could have some brew pubs. And once those two things happened, we saw the entire trend reverse dramatically. Um, and I think that is the component that is really important for how marijuana develops. If we allow the licensing and the regulation for small developers, we'll probably see a very strong craft bud industry. Um, if we get the regulations wrong, we could easily result in it being very restricted to a handful of like big companies.
0: Excellent point, John. So glad that you brought up that perspective. That's really interesting and intriguing. And again, um, we'll have to see how this develops over time. But again, uh, regulation and policy around this is very important to see how this will develop in our country guys with that and on that note we do have to go on a quick break but we are going to continue the discussion right here and let your voice be heard so don't go anywhere we'll be right back it's that oliver 40 miko man 15 York, you know
2: well when it was pop yeah yeah
3: Heard on 90.3 FM, WHCR, the voice of Harlem. Selena is taking notes because she's responsible and press for her segments, but I don't, so I'm taking up her mic time, Selena.
0: Stop it. All right, guys, so we're back. My name is Selena Hill. Stanley Fritz is on the PC ones and twos. And
3: threes and fours.
0: Alyssa Fuchs Esquire is in the building dropping that legal knowledge. And Jackie the
3: Jew.
4: Jackie the Jew, no. Jackie <laughs> the Jew is <laughs> <back>. <laughs> Wait, was that right? No, you don't. That was- that's a that's a No. That's a hard no on... Uh... Oh, so sorry.
0: <laughs> yeah, that was horrible, Stanley. All right, guys. Um, We actually had a really good tweet that came in from Chris Thomas. Again, we're speaking about the privatization of marijuana as the country continues to fight and as we continue to have progression in the legalization of marijuana. We're seeing more and more... Um, we're seeing how it might just lead to the corporatization of marijuana where these private companies and investors might take over the market and then sell it to us. And, you know, that has its pros and its cons. So Chris Thomas says, commercialization of weed is inevitable, but I think hope for a craft weed subset are boring hopes for just- it. sounded it out. Do you want me to read it? <laughs> Selina, what diversified industry? Her, she All used right. her
3: hookshot on Phoenix last week. So. Stop
2: it! I was almost done with the tweet. So Chris Thomas said, done. Commercialization of weed is inevitable, but I think the hope for a craft weed subset is bu- buoying the hopes for a diversified industry. That, um, uh, I was almost done with the tweet, guys. I was. What
0: language? Yeah, Stop I don't know what that. <laughs> huh? All right, guys. All right. So uh, apparently, let me just reintroduce the guest because we have a very special guest, and he was talking about craft weed. weed. Uh, John Walker. He is the author of After Legalization understanding the future of marijuana policy. Alyssa?
2: Yeah. So, um, you know, hey, John, this is Alyssa again. And So here's my question, I guess. It's sort of a follow-up to that tweet, um, (laughs) which was that I was thinking about this, where, you know, beer, as you mentioned, is something you can brew at home, and wine is something you can make at home. um, As is, but they're not as, I guess, I don't want to say easy. Marijuana is a plant, right? If you can grow tomatoes, you can grow marijuana. It's not super, super easy, but it's not super, super difficult. Um, I would like to say, although I don't know for sure, that um, marijuana is probably easier to grow than it is to brew beer at home. So I guess the question is, because marijuana is a plant that, in theory, you can grow in your backyard, and lots of people in California do, because under California law, they are allowed to grow a certain amount of plants, do we think that because people will be able to grow it at home, that will kind of put a damper on the commercialization and the corporatization of weed Because a lot of people are going to say And especially a lot of people that I'll put in the, like, anti-GMO group Or, you know, people who right. are really concerned about eating organically They're going to say, well, you know what? I'm going to grow my own at home I'm not going to buy from the big corporations And also, how does that play into this conversation that we're having about regulations And about making sure that we get them right? Oh
1: right. yeah. so there's, there's two sort of good excellent points Um Brewing beer is actually pretty easy. I've been brewing for like uh, a decade now, Uh, home beer or home brewing. Um, There's probably about 1% of people who drink beer actually bother to brew beer at home. Um, And I imagine it'll probably be a similar thing with marijuana. If you don't want to buy corporate marijuana, you can usually grow it at home. I think one of the most positive things in the legalization movement is really early on, there's a debate about whether to allow home growing or whether that would um cause initiatives to lose support. So if you looked at 2012, uh Colorado let you um grow marijuana home for recreation, Washington's initiative did it. Um, and the people behind Washington's initiative said, we pulled this, this makes the thing more popular. They both ended up getting the same amount of support on election day. And so basically the entire movement's been, you know what, we should let people grow at home. And I think that's like a very positive development gives people that personal freedom um, you know, to do it themselves. I don't think many people will take advantage of it, uh, but I think it's great people have that. And I think one of the best things about that is it is a footstep into allowing people to start their own business. Um, almost every craft brewery in this country was started by a home brewer. Um, and I imagine almost every sort of small um, new marijuana business which is open in like the next 100 years, probably be opened by someone who is growing marijuana at home just as a hobby first. Um, so that is one of those important regulations, though, if you want a craft industry. You know, we didn't have right. craft beer. Yeah, we didn't have craft beer because we didn't let people brew beer at home for decades. Um, if you want to craft marijuana, you got to make sure your state law and our federal law allows people to do personal growing at home. Right.
4: Exactly. So I think um, there's a big... What will be a big conversation, um, you know, w- with this sort of inevitable legalization trend that we're we're on is there's a difference between growing weed at home um, for your own personal consumption, which is allowed in some places. Right. Or yeah. growing it to then sell in a way that and this is where I think it gets a little tricky. Right. And we see this with um, farms. There was a great article that I read this week um, about Willie Nelson and Farm Aid and how this is a big issue that's tied into um, supporting local farmers is that they are often usurped by big industries um, and big factory farms that won't, you know, put lobby for restrictions that make it harder and harder for them to grow their product um, and sell it in a way that, you know, won't bankrupt them. And so they ultimately have to close, Um So I think that's going to be something really interesting looking forward. You know, is it going to be okay to just grow it for yourself um, and not to sell? But can you, is the future, you know, is a independent business realistic, right? Or is it just going to automatically be swept up by big tobacco, big, you know, big weed? Um, Or can people, I mean, this, we like to talk about job creation and independent business owners um, being able to, you know, exist in this country. And is this something that... Is going to happen, right? Are we going to have smaller farms where they can grow weed, or are they going to be uh, sort of wiped off the map by these bigger industries?
1: Oh, yeah. You know, it's it's a big sort of unanswered question, and a lot of it um, comes down to sort of how the market shapes up. But a big part is how it comes down to sort of the regulations on everything. Um, you know, there's a lot of industries, you know, not just, you know, alcohol and tobacco, but there's a whole bunch of industries where big players um, support, like, onerous regulation because that are, those are things only big players can deal with. And so, you, you know, you, get, you have to get the mixture right. You know, you look at, like, uh, the taxi industry is, like, a good example, where, like, the big players um, really sort of help stack the rules for the big players. So, like, in New York City, where the taxi medallions go in for something, what, like a million dollars, something ridiculous like that, um so you know that is that is always a threat across any industry um and i think it's something we should really be vigilant for um and i think that is sort of one of the very positive aspects about issue three failing um is it is another example that voters actually want legal marijuana but they want it to be done right that makes Um, yeah
2: that makes a lot of sense i mean that's that's i guess my concern right is even with the craft industry that if people are, in, people are going to be enticed by money, so if I start out growing in my own backyard, I have my own operation, my friends start coming to me, they really like what I have, they want to buy it from me, and, you know, then a lot of people start buying it from me, and then a company like Philip Morris says, oh, wait, that person has really good stuff, why don't we buy them out? Why don't we get their secret recipe and buy them out? And then the craft person is going to say, well, you know, they're offering me millions and millions of dollars, so... You know, I I want to take the money. I'm going to sell my operation over to Philip Morris, and that's how you're going to see sort of a monopoly start to take shape, mm-hmm. where people, all the small craft people, are going to be brought out, bought out, and you see that already sometimes in the craft brew industry, where some of the craft industry brewers are backed by and uh, companies like Anheuser Busch and Miller Imbev. But I know that we wanted to change gears a little bit, and we wanted to talk briefly about how this kind of affects um, the war on drugs, and and one of the big uh, things also that happened this week is that the Mexican Supreme Court opened the door to legalizing marijuana on Wednesday. Um, the court's criminal chamber voted to declare that individuals should have the right to grow and distribute marijuana for personal use. Uh, the ruling did not strike down current drug laws in Mexico, but it essentially laid the foundation uh, for new legal actions that um, could ultimately uh, cause Mexico to legalize the drug just like Canada. So if we're, you know, having a conversation and and that in turn may affect the cartels and the cartels business. Uh, so I guess the next question is, how do we think this ruling in Mexico is going to affect the legal marijuana industry here in the U.S. and how in that, in turn, is going to affect uh, the cartels and the war on drugs that we see here? Yeah. Um, and, and if we really wanted to take that question even further, we could talk about just the war on drugs in general here in the United States and how it affects people of color disproportionately to people who are not of color.
1: John? Well, that's uh, that's a big question. Um. You know, I do think, you know, it's tough to sort of predict what will come apart or come from this court ruling, um, but I do think that the sort of house of cards around marijuana prohibition is crumbling. Um, You know, for a long time, it was just the United States kind of bullying a lot of the world into going along with it. Um, And once you look like hypocrites when we didn't do anything to sort of stop in Colorado and Washington, um, that's really when you sort of saw, like, a lot of, you know, just just kind of, like, sea change of opinion, especially, like, throughout the, you know, the North and South America. Um, And I do feel like we are just going to get to the point of sort of almost comical um, inability to sustain at least the warm marijuana. Uh, which is, which is, I think, very positive. I think we're going to see, especially if Canada moves, we will be curious how quickly they move. But I think once Canada does, I think, you know, half of Latin America will fall within like three or four years.
0: Uh, speaking of what's going on in Mexico with the drug cartels, it was just recently when uh, U.S. the FBI in the U.S. and also uh, Mexico officials found this huge tunnel. This huge, yeah. sophisticated tunnel that was from Mexico. I think it was going into um, San Diego. It was I forgot which city in California, but they discovered it and they shut it down. But here's what I'm thinking. So activists in California, they're trying and they're planning to put uh, um, the legalization of marijuana on the voter ballot next year in 2016. If California does get marijuana legalized through this voter initiative next year, how will that in turn affect Mexico because California is one of the biggest markets that um, Mexican drug cartels have. So they're shipping all of this illegal weed, right, to California, which, which might just legalize the drug. So in turn, do you think that that might put some pressure on the Mexican government and on Mexico's president to sort of like stop enforcing these prohibition laws when, you know, all the way up from California to, to Canada, it's legal and they're the ones who are growing it in Mexico?
1: Yeah, um, you know, it's really sort of, it's all sort of a series of interconnected dominoes when they fall, but I think we are going to, you know, we will start seeing, like, big changes in that regard. Um, You know, it's really tough to get statistics on how much of the cartel's money comes from different things. I've heard anywhere from 15% to 40% of cartel money comes from marijuana, Um, you know, just California alone won't take all that away. That's supposedly, I think Iran said it would be like maybe 3% of the market. But once California does, you know, 2016, it won't just be California. It will also be on the ballot in Arizona. It will also be on the ballot in Nevada. I mean, California. So almost like half the border with Mexico may legalize 2016. Um, you know, I think that combined with probably the incredible pressure that will put on the federal government to change position would probably end almost all illegal marijuana import from Mexico. Um, You know, especially if it's also legal in Canada at that same time. Um, So I think that would be a very positive development. Um, There's already a push in a lot of South America. They're getting really tired of our war on drugs. Um, I don't know how quickly Mexico itself will move, but we're definitely going to see that move to not taking part in the war on drugs oh. throughout the uh, western hemisphere.
3: John, I have a question. We're talking about the war on drugs. We're talking about corporatization and I got to say guys, my lack of Fs gives for this is very small because like the one thing that I really care about that I haven't heard about is now, we legalize drugs, of course of course it's going to be corporatized. Of course what we do can possibly hurt the drug cartel in Mexico, but what's happening to the people who have been in prison yeah. because of these because of these drug laws who now should be able to go out there and make money off of it, but night, but might not because of their records. Has there been any push or is there any conversation around trying to expunge these people so they can be prof- they can be profitable the way that the Kennedy family was with um with bootlegging and other people?
1: I, uh, you know there there actually is some very positive developments um, in um, Oregon, for example. There was a move to after they legalized to expunge some records. Um, and I think there's, I don't remember what the stats of the legislation was, but there's a move to expunge some records in Colorado. Um, and I do think that we're starting to see movement towards that direction, which I find, um, very positive. That once things are legalized, people are going to be like, why do we have this on people's records for breaking these laws, which no longer exist? Um, and I even think a few of the initiatives people are proposing would actually even have that written in, that certain marijuana fences would be expunged for your record, or you'd be automatically able to file a form to have them expunged. So that is definitely a positive development that we are seeing. Um, and yeah, you know, there's a lot of criticism, I think, of a few of the initiatives for not including that. But... I think the fact that so quickly, you know, just within months, people in the legislature were proposing bills to do such things um, shows that really once you overcome that hurdle of legalization, you're going to get a lot of momentum for expunging of old uh, criminal offenses, which I think would be one of the most positive developments that will come from legalization.
0: Right. John, you've been such an excellent guest. We always love to have you here. Tell our listeners how they can get in touch with you and buy your book.
1: Uh, you know, you can find my book on Amazon. Just look for after legalization, um, and you can find me on Twitter. It's uh, John Walker DC. I think you guys tweeted my name. I tweeted those to be on the show.
0: Yeah. Thank you. We appreciate those retweets. And again, John Walker also writes for Mass Roots, so you can check him out there. Um guys, I just wanna give everyone um final thirty, sixty sec well, thirty seconds actually (laughs) to wrap it up. We've discussed so much here. Final thoughts.
4: Yeah, I think for me, you know, I've thought about legalization for so long and for so long it's just been like a no brainer. Like, yes, we have to legalize weed. Like it just it makes sense for so many reasons. Um I've been so for it. But now I'm Finding, I'm not so sure, and I feel very weird about this. And it's not because I feel any differently about the substance or its usage or the people that use it, it has nothing to do with that. I'm worried about the effects of corporatization, right? I'm worried about what is the impact this is going to have on economic justice issues, on social justice issues that Stanley brought up, um, and generally on public health, you know, because we, if history proves itself right, um, you know, there's big potential for these bigger industries to take over and really corrupt this thing. So I'm worried that is it going to lead to a bigger problem than if it wasn't legalized in the first place. So now I'm very, I'm very conflicted. So thanks guys for making me uh, nuts so Sure, about how I feel about this. You know, I
2: I think it's an interesting point that you bring that up because at the end of the day, that's a bigger conversation that we're having here, and that's just really a conversation about capitalism in and of itself and about, uh, you know, when capitalism goes awry. And as uh, Bernie Sanders put it, the casino capitalist system where, you know, we have more of oligarchy than we do actual capitalism that allows small businesses to flourish. But I did want to get to some comments that we're getting on politically preposterous. We do take a lot of Comments and questions, um, and so we want to make sure we get those on the air. So Charles Hare says this could be interesting, enlightening, and scary. Uh, Bruce Sanderson says, and I love this comment: the fascists that now run this nation do not believe that a human should be able to eat, drink, breathe, to be educated, incarcerated, or even live in peace or die unless the oligarch corporations can turn a profit <laughs> from it. I think he makes a great point. So we thank Bruce for that point. Um, we have uh, two more comments here. Um, but we're having a little Internet snafu. Oh, we got uh, Neil Ryan, who says, doesn't everything, you know, meaning doesn't everything turn to corporate greed? Right. And um, last but not least, we have Scooter Siri, who says, how the capitalists exploit and ruin an altruistic endeavor. Greed F's it up once again. Mm. Um, so I definitely agree with that. I love Bruce's comment. I think that's right on point, And it has to do with the comment that I was making about a conversation about capitalism, which is that we can't have nice things because of our crony casino capitalist system, which, you know, screws it up for everybody unless the oligarchs make a profit. Stanley?
3: I think I'm going to throw some cold water on this. Um, not meaning to, but um, so, something I've been very frustrated about is what it seems like this kinder, friendlier war on drugs because people are realizing now white kids are doing it a lot more than black yeah. kids. And I think that's been one of the things that pushed this legalization of marijuana, and we know corporations are going to do what corporations are going to do because politicians have no backbones. What I'm really concerned about is while we're do- changing these laws, mostly because middle-class families want to protect their white children, that we give the same black people who we have destroyed generations of their families a chance to actually make money off of this. Th- that's the only thing we- I care about. Budweiser, Weiser Bush, whoever they are, are going to make their money. But you know what? Erica from 136 and Project Douglas needs to make money too.
0: Excellent point, Stanley. What I've been thinking, and everyone made great comments, including the people on Politically Preposterous. Um, Again, we are in our election cycle one year from today. November 8th will be Election Day 2016. And I'm thinking, how will the candidates handle this issue? We have been leading towards the legalization of marijuana in this country for uh, years, for decades now. And we have made such great stride when it comes to progress. And that is the next thing that comes. How will corporate, how will legal read affect us if it's corporatized and as Stanley brought up, how could that affect or hurt or or possibly even help people who have been disproportionately discriminated against because they've owned sell sold or you know worse caught smoking marijuana this plant so again guys let's just pay attention to what the candidates are saying we see that again Bernie Sanders has a very progressive um, form um, platform when it comes to marijuana and we just need to pay attention to where they fall because this issue I'm telling you, the next president, whether they're there in the office for four years or eight years, they are going to be dealing with this issue. And it's up to us to make sure that we elect the best candidate that will take this issue to heart and make sure that it is fair, well, and balanced. And on that note, we are going to go on a quick break. But when we come back, we're going to have the news roundup here and let your voice be heard.
3: Mirror. <laughs> no. Do it, baby.